Greetings, friends, and welcome to uh, our podcast session this Monday, Sermon Sunday. Yeah, that's what we're doing. We're in the book of uh, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 1 and following. Stefan Meyer is my name, addedsouls.com is the website. This is indeed the early bird podcast sessions. You can check us out in the ministry and the work we're doing over here on the East Coast, Canada, with the East Coast Church of Christ. Com. I'm going to share with you, of course, what I have preached from uh, or with uh, the congregation yesterday, which was Sunday, and today we're Monday, you know, how that works. And I want to share with you uh, the things uh, that we read together and learned together from the Holy Text, the inspired God-breathed literature, the penmanship of the Holy Spirit, and the witnessed recorded accounts of a man named Jesus, whom we know to be the Messiah the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, the prophesied coming King who fulfilled the gospel, death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension, establishing his crown as King of the kingdom. He built his church, and we are legal citizens of his uh, royalty. And uh, we certainly do hope and pray you will find some worth in the substance of things, the material, being proclaimed your way, and by all means, consider subscribing to this channel, uh, giving us a thumbs up, comment, share the link far and wide, all that kind of good stuff. John chapter 7, John chapter 7, verses 1 and following. Before we do proceed further, we want some background, we want some context, because in or with the East Coast Church of Christ, uh, we've been, been going through the Gospel of John, and... Um, it's because it's important to hold fast due diligence in the context of the generation in which this was experienced, lived, and written. And so you and I today, thousands of years later, can read these ancient documents uh, about God walking among us on earth, during the reign of the Roman Empire in and around Jerusalem as per the prophet's fulfillment. And uh, we want to do so knowing what is applicable. How does this um, guide our lives? What is the practical application? Can we associate with this information? Or is it too far gone of a generation that we today just can't wrap our minds around? No, that's not the case at all. This information, the perfect law of liberty... Uh, the wonderful 66 books of the Holy Bible, proven, inspired, they guide us, they give us purpose in life, they teach us. We are to meditate, we are to read and learn, study, investigate, believe, and practice, obey. And this is love. God is love. And we want to know about His love. And we want to know about His compassion. We want to know about His courage, His strength, His ministry. What are the things He was saying and doing and why? All that kind of Wonderful information, of course, seen in the Gospel of John. And so from the very beginning, chapter 1, we've been moving our way uh, throughout the verses and the chapters and the information. And we want to do so taking our time. Why rush? You know, what's the rush? Let's slow things down, get real mellow with it, allow the molasses to drip, or, and um, look into it a bit deeper. Deeper water, if you will, right? So... In chapter 7, 1 and following, of course, this 
in relation, in context, to what was taking place in chapter 6 and 5. And we've been seeing now a growing hostility towards Christ from the Jewish people, Judaism, its religious leaders, the Pharisaical uh, department of things, and all of them, of course, from one branch to another, whether it be the scribes, the lawyers, uh, the chief priest, the elders, um, Pharisees, Sadducees, all, all of them, the Sanhedrin, uh, all of these elements of religious leadership during the day and age in which Christ walked are growing in hostility towards Christ. And many verses in John clearly reveal how they were seeking to murder him, to apprehend him, to challenge him, to test him, to run him out of town, um, and uh, that's sad, because they should have embraced him, they should have known him, if they would have um, simply interpreted the scriptures they were born and raised to read, learn, write, and recite, if you will, uh, teach and preach, uh, they should have known he was the Messiah. But they did not want to uh, have a humble heart to see him for who he truly was. Uh, so instead they saw him as a threat and they uh, falsely accused him with all kinds of things, you know, being a thief, a deceiver, a blasphemer, uh, one who stirs up problems and all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, that's sad. And we get, of course, the blessing of uh, foresight through a, 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 a retro perspective, if you will, looking back at the text and having the the perfect law, all of it completely set now uh, together for us uh, to read, uh, we can kind of read and be like, yeah, I would have not sided with the Pharisees. I would have sided with Christ. Well, that's not the case. Most Christians side with the Pharisees. They just do. That's a sad reality most of my brethren hate me for, but it's true. And I didn't make that up. I didn't create that thought or perspective or teaching or doctrine. It's, you can read it in the Bible. It's in there. It was happening in the first century, and it's happening today as well. So what was taking place, of course, in chapter 6 is the pivotal moment in which Christ is bringing the people to a decision. Are you going to have superficial faith, or are you going to have genuine faith? Because most were following him for the entertainment value. Oh, what's he going to do and say today? Oh, there's going to be drama. Here come the Pharisees. Ha ha ha, what's going to happen? Couldn't wait. They, if they could have popcorn, they would have brought popcorn, you know. Um, and others, uh, they were following him because uh, for the physical nourishment, the physical purpose of things. Yeah, yeah, he's going he's gonna to give us food. Let's follow him. But were they paying attention to the words he was speaking? Were they following the signs to where it led? Yeah, it's one thing to have witnessed a miraculous occurrence. But why is a miraculous occurrence taking place? Is it leading to something greater? Well, of course it is. Of course it is. And uh, their grace period had come to a, an expiration. It was time for them to be called into action. Are you going to follow me for who I truly am? For, my, for, for he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. It's not that they did not understand the information they were being told. 
They understood very well this information. They just did not want to accept it, that he was indeed the Messiah, the Christ, God among them, the prophesied coming king. No, this cannot be the man. We refuse it. And so even his own disciples withdrew from him, walking away from him, no longer being with him. And that's sad. It is. And most Christians would have done the same thing. They would have done the same thing. And that is simply a scriptural accuracy. It's an objective absolute. Because we are agents of free will, blessed with the ability to make decisions, we know that because the scriptures speak of us as willing and unwilling. One who has no choice does not have the ability to be willing or be unwilling. But yet the Bible speaks of us as people who can be willing to follow him or unwilling to follow him. Why would Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commands, if we had not the free will to choose to obey his commands or neglect, reject, and disobey his commands? His disciples the crowd, his followers, believers, had the free will to follow or not, to truly have genuine belief, trust, faith in him or not. And he brought that moment to its decision. And uh, unfortunately, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. That's what's taking place in chapter 6 which of course allows us platform for chapter seven. You see, many disciples, a disciple is one who follows for the purpose of learning. They were doing so superficially, more entertained by the sensational, and yet still loyal to the affiliation of religious leadership, the pharisaical department and branch of their... Uh, their leadership, their belief system, if you will. And they had um, in their hearts a barrier to a certain degree in which they would not pass in order to follow Jesus. It's, it's kind of like, well, I'll do 95%. I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to follow Jesus up to 95%. But I can't do so to the 100%. Some of them, they wouldn't even make it to 95. Some of them stopped following him at 30, 40, 20, 10, 5. Jesus was saying, you need to follow me all the way. You need to know that I am the Christ and I must go to the cross and die and be raised from the dead, conquering death giving you a path to salvation. No, we can't accept that. There was a, a measurement, a level of sacrifice in which most would just not want to endeavor, not want to follow. I am mindful, or we are mindful together of the, uh, the rich man, rich young ruler. He was doing everything. He was a believer in God. He was faithful to the law. He was seeking to be with Christ. It would have been very tempting for Jesus to say, oh, wow, 
You're the perfect candidate for a follower. You are wealthy. You have influence. You obey the law. You have since your youth. You believe in God. Yeah. By all means, follow us and come along with us. You'd be a great asset to, to, the, to the crowds, to the discipleship. Well, no. What did he say? He had to sell everything and give it to the poor. And he wasn't going to do that. What about the interaction Jesus had with other individuals? One of them coming to Jesus saying, I'll follow you, I'll follow you wherever you go. Well, that sounds good. And Jesus could immediately have said, Oh, awesome, excellent. I'm so happy you want to follow me everywhere. By all means, welcome to the crowd. What did Jesus tell him? Well, the, fox ha the foxes have holes, the birds have nests. You cling to your securities. You cling to your community, your home, your family, your friends, your co-workers, your materialistic belongings. But if you choose to follow me, you might lose all of those things. Oh man, I can't do that. See? What about the other one? I'll just wait. And, hey, listen, I want to follow you and everything, but just give me some time to inherit my father's will. Once I receive my father's inheritance, I'll follow you. You know what would have happened if Jesus would have said, yeah, sure, that makes sense. I mean, you know, I, I want to be a reasonable individual, so yeah, I can understand why you'd want to wait around until you receive your father's inheritance. You know what would have, would have happened once his father would have died and he would have received the inheritance? There would have been something else. There would have been another reason, another excuse. See, most believers, most Christians, yeah, yeah, we love Jesus, we, we, we want to follow Jesus, we follow Jesus. But it's not all the way. It's not to the goal, which is eternal life in heaven with them. It's to the conditions of their own barriers. Well, I'm not going to give up this. Well, I'm not going to do that. Well, that saying is just too hard to accept. It's not that we don't understand what he's saying. It's that we just don't accept what he's saying. That, well, that's what's happening in chapter 6. It's not that they did not understand what he was teaching. It's that they just they didn't want to accept what he was teaching. It's, it, it, you can't be the Messiah. You're Jesus from Nazareth, the son of a carpenter. You are supposed to be, if you're the Messiah, you're supposed to be born within the royalty of the Pharisaical branch, the scholars, the lawyers, the law, those who know the law the key holders, the gatekeepers. That's where you're supposed to be born, within the phylacteries of the social uh, upper social status in Judaism. You're born in, like, who are you? That's it. No, you, you, we know who your parents are. We know, who, we've seen you grow up. You cannot be the Messiah. The Messiah is going to be one who's going to pull up a sword and slay down the Romans and build a physical kingdom for the Jews. You ain't it. And the Christ would be someone who would be a Pharisee. One of us. You see, the Pharisees, they despised Christ because Christ could do the very things they claimed they could but could not. Didn't we do many things in your name? You know, cast out demons and all kinds of stuff. No, I never knew you. 
You can do those things. You had no miraculous power. The Pharisees were in it for the greed, for the praise of men, for control, for power. They were divisive. They were quarrelsome. They were heavy-handed. And they were interpreting the scriptures, searching them, so as to find salvation in themselves. And sadly, today we have preachers who are Pharisees in the church, behind pulpits, in elderships, sadly. And this is what has been taking place. And we make our way to chapter 7, verse 1 and following. After these things, the things we've been discussing here from taking place from chapter 6 and 5 and so on thus far, Jesus was walking in Galilee. Where's Galilee? Is it even on the map? For he was unwilling to walk in Judea. And why would he be unwilling to walk into Judea? Well, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. No, that can't be right. I thought the Jews were God's people, the kingdom of God. Well, what did Jesus say about the sons of the kingdom? That they were going to be thrown out. And that the foreigner, the Gentile, was going to be reclining with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Very offensive. There's a, re there's a reason they crucified him. So Jesus, taking precaution, for his time was not yet ready, he, he controlled, God on earth controlled the time in which he would freely give his life. And this was not the time. It was coming, and he spoke of it, in chapter 6, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He was speaking of the unique baptism he had to go through. Death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension. He had to die on that cross. They understood that. They just did not want to accept it. And many withdrew from him that day. And he understood that the hostility of the Jews was growing against him. I mean, they want to murder him. So he's not going to go there now under their conditions. He will go under his own condition. A sense of insight and self-defense. Friends, if you are wise, don't go put your face in a location of hostility where you know beforehand that they're going to seek to murder you. Why? The truth. The truth. He was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to murder him. He was being wise within the body he was experiencing to fulfill his ministry. Now the feast of the Jews, verse 2, chapter 7, John, the feast of booths was near. A wonderful celebration, right? To thank God for the harvest, the nourishment, and to have the fellowship of the brethren. An honored feast, one of three, important for the Jews. Like, you got to be there. This is what we do. Therefore, his brothers, verse 3, 
And here, in context, and we must not miss the mark with it, it's speaking of his siblings, children that Joseph and Mary had that were physical, literal brothers of Jesus. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here, Galilee, and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does, verse 4, anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. What are they talking about? Jesus can control the weather. He can cast out demons. He can make whole the lame, cure the sick, raise the dead. Did I say cast out demons? What do you mean? He's been publicly speaking. Oh, right, 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 right. See, they thought in order to give Jesus credibility, if you are the Christ in which you so speak, Galilee ain't going to cut it. No one knows about Galilee. Doing something in Galilee, no one knows about that. If you want to really prove yourself, you need to go in the location in where there is a collective public gathering of religious individuals. In other words, the only way you're truly going to have credibility as the Messiah you so claim to be, is if the Pharisees say you are. Because that's how this works. They are the gatekeepers, the key holders. They are the ones who know the law. They are the scholars. They're smart. We're not. You need to go to them and have the blessing of the religious leaders. Over here in Galilee, it's just not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it over here. You got to go there and get their blessing. That's how this works. And that was their interpretation. And that's what they expected. And that's the very thing Jesus was teaching them to discern and to make decision on. Are you going to keep following the Pharisees, subordinates to their tyrannical oppression, or are you going to be set free and follow the Christ and understand the, uh, the deep sacrifice that he was going to go through for the salva salvation of mankind? I mean, which path are you going to take? Well, as a result of speaking these things, of course, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And it's the same today. Many of us made that decision no longer to be affiliated, associated with the Pharisees, because there are Pharisees in the church today. Absolutely. We are going to talk a bit deeper about that in our second class, to which if you sign up to addedsouls.locals.com, you can find there exclusively. Some of us Christians chose to follow Jesus 
and some choose to remain subordinates under the control of a pharisaical leadership. Dear friends, I say this with all love and respect. Just because there's a sign outside that says Church of Christ doesn't necessarily mean that that church belongs to Jesus Christ. If that church is filled with sin and its leadership is corrupt, its leadership is uh, uh, made up of diatrophic, pharisaical, prideful brutes, hateful individuals, very cold-hearted individuals, then you don't need to belong there. Jesus is not there. They may give themselves a masquerade and present themselves as righteous, and they may uh, have the ability to charm and persuade you in believing them to be scholars. So did the Pharisees of the first century. Some of us chose to follow Jesus. These individuals who were superficial in their faith, they were idle. They were vain. They were worldly. It was easy for them just to be told what to do. And so they followed the Pharisee. But when Jesus brought them to a very sober reality and saying, hey, listen, who are you truly following? You have to let them go. And you have to follow me if you want eternal life. Oh, we're not going to do that. You don't speak like we want you to speak. You don't look like we want you to look. You've not even come from where we want you to come from. See, Jesus came in a humble way, very strong and courageous way, but a very humble and lowly way. Interesting, uh, interesting illustration from a movie called Indiana Jones. You guys remember the Indiana Jones movie? Um, what was it now? The Crusade? Crusaders or Cru the Crusade, I think was the one. It's like the third installment from the collection or something along those lines. And I say this, and I speak to you in caution, don't go be watching a movie that would violate your conscience. I can't remember. I've not seen these movies in a long time. And, I, and for the life of me, I, I don't know what is decent in the movie and what is not decent. I can't remember language or if there is immodesty or things along those lines. But I do remember a, a peculiar moment in the Indiana Jones movie, The Crusade, I think it is. Um, where you have uh, Harrison Ford, of course, as Indiana Jones, and he's with his father, and his father's about to die. And they're, the, the portion of the movie here I'm speaking of is near the end, and they have to go into this location where individuals have to choose the cup that Jesus would have drank from. And it's like a table of cups, and all of them are, 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 are uh, golden, filled with rubies and gems and sparkly and shiny and luxurious. And one after the other, they keep choosing a gold cup with rubies and drinking the water therein and perishing. And finally, Indiana Jones, in desperate plea to, to save his father, because the water that would be found in the cup, of course, this is a movie, so there is fable and myth within the movie. But there's something quite unique here. He, he wants to find the cup Jesus drank from so that he can give it to his father and, and renew his father's life. Well, he's looking at all these cups, gold cups, rubies and gems, luxurious cups. And he's thinking to himself, which cup would Jesus have drank from? 
The man was a lowly, humble carpenter's son. And finally he sees that one cup, that one wooden cup, separate from all the others. And wouldn't you know it, that's the cup. That would have been the one Jesus drank from. It's a movie. It's a fable. But nonetheless, it understood the humbleness of Jesus and how he came to this earth, how he walked among us. Well, the Jews, they didn't grasp that. The Pharisaical leadership didn't grasp that. Their pride blinded them. They couldn't see it. They were given the Messiah. They lived in the age in which the Messiah was walking among them, and they squandered that opportunity, that eternal life. They were given a good work. These religious leaders could have followed him and worked along with him as productive productive vessels for the greater good of the kingdom in which Christ was going to be crowned king. They had that right in front of them. They were capable of discerning the weather. Why couldn't they discern the Messiah before them? They had that opportunity. They could have done so much good. But a Pharisee is blinded by a log sticking out of his forehead. He's a hypocrite. Woe to them, these fools, these blind leaders of the blind. And I assure you, they are well and alive behind pulpits in the Church of Christ today. Or should I say, churches that call themselves the Church of Christ. And idle, vain, worldly, delinquent members are going to want to be subordinates to these liars Jesus brought them to that very pivotal moment, that very accurate moment. Who are you going to follow? So his brothers, his brothers, siblings, they didn't even believe in him. They were like, well, you need to go and do this and present yourself this way to these people. Then we'll believe you. No, it's a matter of the heart not a matter of anything they would have seen. They've already seen enough to confirm who Jesus was. Even Nicodemus had enough sense to see that there was something about this man quite different, that he held authority and power that they did not have. But his own siblings, no. And sadly, that's the case a great many times. It, 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 it's devastating, it's sorrowful, it breaks our hearts. Our own, our own siblings, <clears throat> our own siblings would much rather be cowards and follow a, a tyrant, a bully, a Pharisee and his lies and his well-cunning crafted manipulation than follow Jesus. Why do you think denominationalism has a headquarter and has leaders there, titled leaders. The Pope, the pastor, the reverend. You don't think that contamin that, that that infection, that that virus has not entered into the Lord's church? Of course it has. We have Pharisees in the church. So his brothers are telling Jesus 
In order for us to believe you, you need to go do these things. In order for you to have the proper certificate, the proper credentials, if you seek to qualify as this Messiah you so claim to be, well, then you need to go through the proper channels. You don't think we have that? The Brotherhood clan, the Brotherhood preachers, crabs in a bucket seeking the keynote spotlight, limelight, the praise of men. You don't think we have Pharisees in the church? What, are you blind? Some of them, they crawl in the shadows. Of course we do. Absolutely. And if you've been in the church long enough, faithful, not perfect, but faithful, you, you've witnessed these things. You've seen these things, these Pharisees. The text continues and says, for not even his brothers, verse 5, were believing in him. Not even his own siblings. They were there with him when he turned water to wine, were they not? Yeah, but that was, that was done somewheres where it wasn't really known. In order for you to really be known, you need to go through the proper channels. You need to go through the right Bible school, preacher school. You need to go to, you need these brethren to vouch for you. You need these brethren to say, yeah, he's one of us. These Pharisees and their subordinates are loyal to their own ilk. They have their own Sanhedrin. Well, Jesus said to them in verse 6, My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. What are you talking about? They just told him, he needs to go through the proper channels in order to be credited as the Messiah. Because the Pharisees would have said, yeah, he's the Messiah. You know, he's doing things the way we want him to do it. And uh, our way is the Bible way. That's how they operate, I assure you. Pharisees are like, yeah, that's what the Bible says. You can never, ever convince a Pharisee. I've never seen a Pharisee repent, to be honest with you. And I've only been in the church for 11 years faithful. I've never seen a Pharisee repent. They can't. They're too prideful. They're blinded by the log sticking out of their forehead. Jesus doesn't answer their instruction. He says, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. He's going back to whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I need to go and fulfill the ministry. I need to die on that cross for the salvation of mankind. Every day you have, with breath in your lungs and a thinking, accountable mind, you can choose to follow me. You can choose to repent and follow me. You have a great many opportunity. I have to go to the cross and die. Are you going to follow the Pharisees or are you going to follow me? The world, the world, verse 7, cannot hate you, but it hates me. And why does it hate Jesus? Because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. Well, what deeds? Are you going to follow the Pharisees, or are you going to follow me? The world doesn't hate you, you are just like them. Pharisees love subordinates. They will use and abuse you, manipulate you, use you for their own selfish bellies. 
The world don't hate you. Hates Jesus. Why? Because Jesus exposes them for who they truly are. And they don't like that. They can't stand him. They have to get rid of him. You got to be careful with Pharisees. The Pharisees will take the Bible and teach to you that a Pharisee is a good thing. And he'll make you think that the innocent party is the Pharisee. They will call evil good and good evil. And I assure you, if you are vulnerable and weak, they will devour you. And a great many of these were being devoured. And that's why, sadly, as a result of what Christ was teaching, many of them withdrew and were no longer walking with him anymore. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. You want to go to this feast, you go ahead. Again, Christ focused on the cross. Truly fascinating. Having said these things to them, he, he stayed in Galilee. He stayed in Galilee. It's a, it's a difficult, difficult teaching to embrace, to receive, accept, and obey. But it is the truth that sets us free, for thy word is truth. It is reality. It pierces us. It challenges us. It demands in us a, a change in the way we think, in the direction we are going. Are we going to continue to follow the Pharisees and the traditions of Judaism, to which they were over 600-some ordinances, if you will, or are you going to be set free by the love of Jesus Christ? Are we going to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Now, some individuals, misguided into pharisaical enterprise, take these verses out of context and would have you believe that you have to literally drink his blood and eat his flesh. No. He is speaking of his death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension. He's speaking of the cross. And how do you and I drink his blood and eat his flesh by partaking in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's how. If I am a repentant believer, confessing Jesus as my Lord and Master, he is the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, I believe. I want to be saved. How am I going to be saved? I must drink his blood and eat his flesh. Well, how, how does that work? We must get in contact with his death, burial, and resurrection. And that is, of course, the new birth in which Christ spoke in John 3.3 3 and in John 3.5. Born again, out of water and the Spirit. His words are spirit. What he speaks are instructional. And if we are wise to receive those words, warmly so, we will obey those words. 
We cannot meritoriously earn our salvation, my dear friends. There's nothing we can do to boast of works that are deserving of his forgiveness. We must be poor in spirit, humble. We must simply do as he has commanded us to do. It is his works, the Bible says. And so we must come in contact with his burial in order to be raised, and that is in the new birth. Immersed, plunged, dipped, submerged, buried, clothed, calling on his name, for therein is the power. Do you have faith? Superficial faith is going to stop following him. That's why they withdrew from him. But true, genuine faith and trust, you will be immersed into his kingdom, his church, his unique house, and that for the forgiveness of your sins. His own siblings did not believe him. The Jewish people in general did not believe him. And the religious leaders of the day, if you read the text, you can see so clearly these Jews, they were grumbling, they were arguing, they were divisive, they were seeking to murder him, the very people that should have embraced him and followed him. Today, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep following the Pharisees? And I assure you, there are Pharisees behind pulpits in buildings that have the sign outside that says Church of Christ. Or are you going to be liberated by the freedom of Christ. If you are outside of Christ, you need to be in Christ. You need to contact his death, burial, and resurrection. Are you willing to do that? Contact us for further studies. The East Coast Church of Christ.com in New Brunswick, Canada. Are you humble? Are you a Christian, but you've withdrew yourself from Jesus? You can come back. Jesus says, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. There's an opportunity here if you're listening. Don't follow me. Don't. don't. I'm just the mailman. Follow Jesus. We only want to help with that. The East Coast Church of Christ is a growing family. Imperfect people following a perfect God, seeking to be better each day. We're a small group that meets in our homes. We have goals. We have plans. We want to follow Jesus. Maybe that's something that would benefit your life following Jesus with us. Huh? Okay. Stefan Maia is my name. AddedSouls.com is the website. EastCoastChurchOfChrist.com if you want to have information on the church. And uh, by all means, please consider subscribing, giving us a thumbs up, comments, sharing the link, all that kind of good stuff. You can sign up to AddedSouls.Locals.com I'm going actually to be live over there and not too long. 
and for exclusive content regarding a portion in the Gospel of Matthew regarding two men who were possessed by demons. You'd be fascinated to see the information in that portion of Scripture. By all means, follow us at addedsouls.locals.com. Stay focused, stay positive. Lord willing, tomorrow we shall be here again for our Tuesday theme, which is, of course, in the show notes if you want to follow along. Good stuff. Peace out.